And we are live for the First Strike Podcast. This is KYT. Before we start the show, I'll plug our sponsor, FaceToFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles with Magic Fest Montreal this weekend. We're bringing back something that always gets a crap ton of people at our booths, which is 40% trade bonus. So come sell the stuff you don't want to get 40% in trade to trade for stuff that you do want. It's go- like the place is going to be packed Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but this is a very popular promotion only at Magic Fest Montreal. You can't do this via any like online buy orders or, or in store. It has to be at the Magic Fest because we want to promote uh, people being there at our booth. So definitely come check out our booth at Magic Fest Montreal. With that said, we've got the usual crew, John Elliott and Andy, and, and we've got a special guest, a returning guest. Tarek Patel, who's been on, despite going to the States and about to, uh, basically got really busy and still really busy trying to become a doctor, still crushing the circuit, posting up some great results. Uh, just welcome back on the show, my man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. So we'll jump to it. John loves himself some modern, uh, Tarek. So recently, what's, what have you been finding success with? Like, how's it been actually? How's it been? Let's go with something more general. How's it been juggling uh, studying to become a doctor with your MTG career? Um, I wouldn't say my MTG <laughs> is a career, but it's definitely a hobby. I mean, games have always been my hobby for as long as I've uh, for as long as I've lived. So if it wasn't magic, it'd just be something else. And luckily, I had my vacation lined up. That there's two weekends in a row, so I've just been playing Legacy like nonstop for the past like three or four months, and it all kind of worked out. I don't know where I heard this from. Were were some Either a guest we had had mentioned you didn't even you haven't even touched Hogak in, in Modern. No, I didn't play a single game of Hogak in Modern. <laughs> <laughs> but how, how did you manage to to start picking it up in Legacy? It actually started as a meme. So I think the deck got banned, and the first day it got banned, I was like, whatever, I'll just run it in a, a League of Legacy. So I rented like the Modern seventy five. I think like Bill and Dottigan's exact seventy five. You know, shotguns and everything. And uh, my first match, round one, was against Rudy, and I was on my Smurf account, so he didn't know it was me. I, like, blank a ball therapy him, or, like, I just do some, like, crazy stuff. I ended up winning. I think I ended up going, like, 4-1 in the league, like, almost missing on 5-0, like, barely missing on 5-0. I was like, that could be real. And then I just worked on it, basically, for, like, two months before the real life event. Um, you, oh, yeah, now, now I remember who, who we had on. We had Cyrus on, who had mentioned that, and... He was pretty confident, pretty cocky about once he reached top eight. Felt like he he simmed the matchups and and he had a good chance to to, to take home the trophy. He loved his matchups. Uh, how, how do you how did you feel your deck was uh, in that particular tournament in Atlanta? I mean, it, going back to back, it's hard to say that my deck was anything but you know the best deck in the room. Um, I mean, the deck is very much a percentage based deck. Like if I hit all the wrong matchups in a row, obviously you're gonna you know not run very well, but I think given the propensity of like fair decks in real life and paper given like and combo decks, like you're going to have a good time if you play Hogak. Any, anything that you would change uh, after those tournaments? Yeah. Yeah. Just to update the sideboard a little bit, when you break down the main deck, if you actually break down the anatomy of it, I think like there's nine cards. So 51 of the 60 cards are like unchangeable because they all feed off each other. And the nine cards you can change are the three therapy. Uh, three feeders and three grave crawlers and unfortunately if you mess around with any of those numbers you make you know your bridges worse your your bench vines worse 
So the 60 is about as tight as it can get. Like, if anything, I'd want a 20th land. I always feel like the deck is, like, one land too short. But, you know, some of the changes would be in the board. But, you know, when when you do well back-to-back weekends, it's hard to say, you know, I'm going to make a radical shift. I just make tweaks here and there. How do you like Cyrus's deck? Cyrus, the Storm deck? Yeah. Um, I mean, I put Old Combo kind of in the same in the same boat. Um like obviously Cyrus is an amazing player, and uh, I got to have dinner with him uh, Friday night and his crew, or I guess Saturday night, and you know, I really got the inner workings of like what Storm players think about. And you know, he's a master in his own right. He's been playing the deck forever, and obviously plays it really well. But I think most combo decks in Legacy all have—I wouldn't say it's it's an issue, but it's like a certain type of playstyle where. Um, you play a percentage game, just like Hogak. It's, it's not really any different than my deck. But the difference is that everybody has a plan versus you. You know, like for all of us that played like Legacy or like Miracles or Delver or whatever, you always assume you're going to play against Storm or Sneak and Show or Reanimator. So it almost feels like you're doing the same thing that multiple other people in the tournament are doing. So you're kind of just like hitting your head against the wall and, and hoping to get there. Not to men- not to say that it's like a bad deck or anything. John, John, I, I need you as uh, one of our legacy stalwarts, I guess. Uh, any questions for Tar- Tarek? Well, not not so much a question as much as like I, I think you gotta applaud the uh, the uh, legacy cabal here. Who uh, uh, I, I have I have the uh, I, ha- I have the uh, privilege of like listening to some of the best uh, minds in legacy, and you know I thought I thought like Hogak was kind of a joke uh, in terms of legacy. It's like me- <laughs> all that but like conceptually it makes sense there's a segment of the i i would say the fair uh fair portion of um legacy like blue blue Feradex or delver that like just can't be dredge right just can't be hogak for example and you know like i i, I think i gotta applaud you for your <laughs> deck building because like when i looked at your deck building uh part um it really reminded me of a uh, replica of the uh Almost, uh, almost a replica of the uh, modern version that's color shifted for blue for a careful study, which really speaks volumes how how messed up the modern version was that was banned. Yeah, um, yeah, I can't believe that deck was ever legal in modern. <laughs> that deck was just silly. <laughs> no, and the Cabal, Cabal therapy actually is like quite a nuisance because without it, like like w- without it, like Dredge and Dredge and uh, Hogak would have no chance in this combo. But now that you can tutor for and just like really, you know, demonstrate the loop on uh, uh, demonstrate the loop on uh, therapy. It really gives the resilience that you know you would have otherwise have a blind spot against. So uh, it's it's a much more well-rounded deck than I initially gave it credit for. And uh, yeah, I, I'm not at all surprised that you crushed two weekends and uh, you really uh, you you really did top eight two big events back to back, which is uh, it's pretty incredible in its own right. Let alone um, the the scale of the GP and the Star City Games. So well. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I think you got to bring up a good point. You know, uh, a comment I kept hearing week after week uh, was, isn't this deck just worse Dredge? And I think there's a lot to say when you start comparing decks like Dredge and Hogak. You know, I think Dredge is a lot more susceptible to like a Spell Pierce and a Surgical Extraction, where if anybody's played the deck in Modern, I think can tell you that a Surgical Extraction just isn't enough. You know, towards the end, I think almost every deck had, had Leyline of the Void. And it just happens to be that, you know, I played these two weekends where Leyline of the Void is almost non-existent outside of like a key select few decks. So if you actually break down my matchups, 
the deck actually has like a 90%. I'm not exaggerating either. Like I played the deck for two months. It has a 90% fair matchup rate, right? And you can make it so that your combo matchups are close to coin flips. So it's it's more of a percentage-based thing. Like I, I'm sure if you played against every single deck like 100,000 times or something across Legacy, the win percentage would be equivalent to a deck like Delver or Four Color Control. But when you start thinking about, you know, the proportions that certain fair decks are represented in real life versus like, like nobody plays bomber or no like people do play it, but no like not as many people play bomber painter and like the hard cheesy combo decks. You start to see this like skewed win percentage with like really really over the top decks like like Ogag. And in my opinion, it used to be like that for dark devs, but as soon as people realize what you're doing, they start putting hate for it. Plus, good. I mean, I think uh, I saw Elliot there as well at SCG uh, Syracuse. How did you do, Elliot? Uh, I did. I went nine and seven. I was playing Death Shadow and uh, probably mediocre. <laughs> well, I played against Depths. I think eight times. It's I was like I've spent the past two weeks trying to block that whole tournament out of my memory. I went like lost, lost, lost to Miss Cash. Uh, but I like I walked into the tournament, you know, sort of doing uh, a similar process that you did in terms of. Uh, I'm going to play my deck that if I play against the right portion of the field, I'm going to have a good a good weekend. And if mm-hmm. I if I catch the wrong matchups, I'm going to be looking embarrassed. Uh, and I just did that trying to dodge deaths and play to date times. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things where it really sucks the the two three hour drive home where you're like regretting regretting everything regretting your choice but then when you wake up the next morning you're like i guess i just ran bad yeah and that's just it i in my opinion it's it's probably the smartest thing ever because if you play a deck like delver or whatever and you take 50 percent against the entire field then you're guaranteeing that 50 percent you know no matter what you play against but i think playing a deck like your, yours and you know you give your chance yourself the best chance to top eight I don't know. I, I think that's smart. And it's one of those, like, you take your shot, and if it misses, it really sucks, and it stings. But at the end of the day, you got to look at it. I mean, yeah, I think it's it's definitely, like, if you could run the tournament, I don't know, 10 times, I think that this is probably on, like, my lower end of, like, possible results. Like, it was 9-7, but I also squeaked into day two at 6-3, so it's not like my day one was insane. So it was really, like, on the lower end of possible results, and that's... Just, you know, sometimes it's going to come up in magic. I was actually talking to Andy earlier this week um, because, you know, I was kind of doing like a year retrospective because like uh, almost exactly a year ago is when I started like a sort of sick run for for myself, like qualified for a pro tour, chained a bunch of 12 threes GPs. Um, and I've been like sort of uh, like, I don't want to say losing interest, but like, uh, when you like run kind of bad and don't have a good result in a long time, it's really easy to like, um, you know, say like, oh, I'm going to quit magic, not having fun anymore. But really like on the level for the whole year, I ran average, let's say for my skill level, but it was just like super concentrated. Good luck at the start of the year. So I think that's always one of the things you have to, to look in magic is like, you're going to run bad in some tournaments. You're going to run hot in some tournaments. It's not always going to be in alternating order and make you feel fine over the course of a month, sometimes you have to look at over a large picture. Oh, and yeah, I couldn't have said that any better myself. You know, you can't choose when you win or lose. You know, Dom Harvey, Dom Harvey, I think could say that the best. He barely missed out on the PC race in like season one, and then goes and wins like back to back opens to start season two. Like nobody chooses when your wins and loss happen. Yeah, 
I, I completely agree with that. And yeah, I don't know if you want to jump in with any legacy commentary, but of course you can jump in on, on, on the second part, which is your whole, um, how you've changed, uh, how you view magic and competitive magic in tournaments. But, uh, first let's, let's start with legacies and among us, you've also jumped in the legacy challenge streets, as I would like to say. <laughs> the legacy challenge streets <laughs> we out here. Uh, I take a similar approach to these guys when it comes to the deck I play. I like choose not to play like the fair 50% Delver deck or whatever. I choose to play black red reanimator because I feel like if I play against like these decks that are trying too hard with Renin six, I feel even favored against those blue decks. And then against all the non blue decks, I feel like I'm pretty heavily favored. So I like that deck. And I actually tried, uh, almost exactly what Tarek uh, or Tarek played at the both tournaments. And what ended up happening is I uh, wasn't playing blue. I was playing red for faithless looting. So if you could walk us through why blue is so much better. Uh, right. So I actually played, I think like nine or 10 different versions of Hogak throughout like the month I was uh, testing it. Um, you're right. That, that faithless looting is, is a strictly very careful study. And it comes up a lot that, you know, you careful study and then you may brick for a couple turns and you really want that flashback effect. But to me, the best card by, by like a mile was, was Hedron Crab. So in order to make Hedron Crab work, I needed Underground Seas. And from there, like I could try a Grixis Shell, but it was too awkward to go like turn one looting and then not be able to play a turn two crab without playing your second land. Because you, you can't keep, you know, you can't keep like three landers and your hand just gets diluted. So for like necessity purposes, if I thought Hedron Crab was the best thing I could be doing, I, I'd have to like stay full blue. Um, and like the green, so it begs the question, like, could you just be a Grixis deck then and just play like the blue black mana base with like, uh, the Badlands sideboard plan. Um, and the reason I went with, uh, the green was because hard casting Vengevine comes up a significant amount of time. Um, I think Vengevine is like a key component to beating softer hate, like surgical extraction or even rest in peace, just getting to the board early to make a turn to rest in peace, not, not good enough. Um, so I think I identified that Vengevine was very, very, very key, and um, Heatron Crab was like the second best thing. And just because of those limitations, I couldn't play Faithless Suiting, despite you being absolutely right. It's the best one-mana cantrip there is for the deck. Yeah, I was just really interested when I saw you play Blue, but I guess uh, underestimating the Heatron Crab, as I'm sure I do very often. Card's always like much better than it looks, because it never looks good, right? No, it's very innocuous. A lot of I think towards the end of uh, GP Atlanta, I think people started cluing in. But I remember, um, like towards the start of SCG, I would just play the crab, and people wouldn't think twice about. Yeah, that's what was that going to do? The game would just end like the next turn. Yeah, and uh, I guess to address the second half of your question, Car, about like the mindset I have for Magic, um, I I kind of went on like a Twitter rant where I just kind of talked about my feeling on magic recently and like how I changed my mindset for magic and was in like a bad place, like mental health wise with magic because uh, at the core of it is because I wanted people to think I was good. I think that drove a lot more of how I felt about it because I, you know, felt self-conscious sometimes I wouldn't do well. And I remember the greatest feeling when I first came into the magic community is like, when uh, the first time I got picked by Kyle Duncan in a like a draft thing or whatever, where they pick the players they think are going to top eight the tournament, and uh, that kind of stuff mattered to me a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, it's kind of ends up being a little bit toxic eventually because that's all you really care about is wanting people to think you're good. And then when you start losing, 
you're sad because you're losing and you're sad because of that as well. And I think uh, once I realized that, I don't know, I think I have to understand where my skills are in magic and like where my level is and have to be comfortable with it, with the amount of effort that I put in. And I think where I'm at now, I'm happy with the, the results that I have recently. And I think that it's possible I could do better if I put more effort into it. But at this point in my life, I can't put much more effort into it. And I started doing a lot better when I started uh, having that mindset that it was I was just kind of playing magic for fun. Yeah. yeah, it was just really for fun. And because I enjoyed playing games of magic. And it wasn't about winning the tournament. It wasn't about qualifying for the Pro Tour. It's just those things kind of happened along the way. That's so true. And congratulations, Andy. I forgot. You recently won a PTQ, didn't you? Yeah, I won the first Moto PTQ for Richmond. Congratulations. When is that? Co- that's coming up in a couple of weeks, right? Uh, it's about a month yeah. from now. It's October, November 11th or something. You excited? A- yeah, I'm pretty excited. I, it's it's neat to finally get to play a pro tour where like it's the metagame is at least a little bit advanced, so I don't play a very bad standard deck and uh, <laughs> five won the draft. Because <laughs> that you- felt pretty bad. Have you been playing this uh, draft format so far? I have, yeah. Do you like it? I have some opinions like on it, it, but I want to... You like it, eh? All right. I'm not sure if I like it. It's... <laughs> it, I don't know. I, it's too early for me to form like a real opinion on whether I like it or not. Right. I uh, think some of the play patterns are fun. There's just like... Some things are... Like so... Synergy matters so much for some things power level. Yeah. That uh, sometimes a little swingy like that. Yeah, and I think the food makes it, at least in sealed, I can't speak because I haven't drafted enough, but I think the food mechanic really pushes uh, the better pools to like always win. Like I feel like the game will get prolonged to a point where like they're going to draw their bombs and if I have a weaker pool, I just go out of the water. It's, uh, it's so, so far seems very synergy-driven, like night decks, draw an extra card decks, like mill decks, and uh, all that stuff. Just when you have it, it's really powerful. And sometimes... The problem is like a few cards in those decks that are like really key for those decks can also just go in kind of anything. Like if you look at a card like Opt or like a Thrill for Possibility, I don't know if that's the actual name, but the Instant Speed Tormenting Voice, right. those kind of go in any deck. Mm-hmm. And uh, the fact that they're so important for you and like if you only get like one instead of two or three, then all of a sudden your deck could be much worse. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. <laughs> Time will tell though, you know, Formats have surprised me before. I think uh, M20 was one of them. I thought it was like an extremely shallow format and ended up being like one of my favorite formats. Who knows? But the way this one started, I'm not enjoying it so far. There's not enough fixing for me, in my opinion. Um, you know, you end up in, in piles that you can't really get out of sometimes. And Yeah, you're also we'll like, say. there's also like another aspect where like, let's say you want like you have a couple, a few cards that are going to be very good if you're heavy red, and then like you get into a spot where you're like your spells are half and half, and then it just kind of depends on what your fourth land is, if it's the third of something or the second of something else, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. It's weird. It adds like sort of variance to it, but it, it, maybe it evens the playing field on like the power level of cards. But it's uh, so far pretty interesting, and I think the dynamic is making it pretty swingy. <laughs> yep, I agree with that. What have you been playing in standard to test for Richmond? Uh, so my, I, I have been playing standard because I just love to play standard. But like mm-hmm. in reality, there's a an arena pro tour before 
So I should just wait for that, right, and save my uh-huh. time and energy. But I love to play standard. So I've been playing the Golos decks because they're just my favorite kind of decks to play. Girl Spiral is one of my favorite cards to ever be printed. And I think uh, – I hope it's good to come to Pro Tour because I love that deck. What is with Toronto players and just loving these land-based strategies? It's like definitely a thing down there. I ain't even from Toronto. I know. That's why I'm saying it. <laughs> I think it's because uh, – I don't know. It's like uh, it feels safe, right? You got you got twenty eight lands in your deck, can't, and I think uh, can't miss your land drop. I hope it's good to come. To- All right. <laughs> I do just want to say, going going back to the the draft and limited thing, and I'll preface this again with I have also not drafted this set, so I'm glad we're all the people haven't drafted our way in, but. I think they made like a better ill-gotten inheritance, and that's like really messed up. That I like swarm of ravens or whatever that card's called. It's just like revenge. The, the first one is nearly unbeatable, and the second one is is stone unbeatable. Like most of your creatures will get like become irrelevant because of this. Most of them. So like anything that's two power basically doesn't matter. Anything that's one power never attacking again. And then, like, you have your bigger creatures, which can just get, like, double blocked off, and you're gaining life, and they're losing life, making the race easier for you. I think this card, they did, I I wonder if they thought it'd be good, and that's why it's an uncommon, but it's super powerful. Yeah, Black also has, like, four, like, good removal spells, ranging from common to uncommon, which, you know, off the top of my head seems high, I like... I guess because there's not that many gold cards compared to the most recent sets we've had, mm-hmm. but like you can just very easily get one or two of these, a pile of removal, um, and you know, there's also that black has another uncommon, the the five mana sir something. That card is also close to unbeatable. Um, so that's definitely from from what I've seen my early. My early idea is that black's probably the best color, and I've also seen a lot of people forcing red and picking every single copy of Seven Dwarfs they see. Obviously, not the eighth, but uh, I've seen a lot of people having success with that as well. So, uh, Tarek, well, what's up for uh, what's next for you? Actually, <laughs> I imagine you're not you're not going to Montreal, but if you had a quick piece of advice for people playing the seal main event. You're just saying that, you know, the games go slower, the bigger bombs went out. Is is that what where your head's at when it comes to that? Yeah, it's so early. I mean, it's hard to say because, okay. So like Ravnica was like a, for me, one of the best formats in like years because you could play almost any seal play you were given if you were creative enough. But for this, you know, the, the format's only been out a couple of days now, but, I'd really go to church before the event. Like that's my only advice. Um, hope to have a, a heavy black pile and and go from there. I don't know. Just have fun with it. Um, I think you play the best when you have fun with a format. So get on Magic Arena, you know, draft it, play it, practice. And if you're having fun with it, go and play your heart out. And if you're not, then maybe consider staying home. <laughs> well, that's, that's all I got. Okay. What's what's uh, we'll finish with this with you. Uh, what's what's next for you? Mr. Busy Man. Uh, nothing. I um, I don't think I have. I don't have another weekend off for at least a month, and then after that, Christmas. So I think Christmas is my next break, and then, yeah, I, I, you know, I I'm not playing real life Magic for for a while. So. Yeah, you want to. But th- this, 
This this qualifies you for something uh, next year, or I, I actually can't make the pro tour I qualified for. So uh, as of now, I'm not I'm not going. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm I am strictly a for fun player. Kyt. <laughs> so uh... hey, I mean I mean <laughs> it's kind of weird since since. It is interesting the coincidence though. Like when I met you, we we were playing in the same Ottawa classic style PTQ. That was one of the first times we interacted. And then once you got into this busy life, is when you start like notching these results. Where I'm like, hey, gotta get this guy on the show. So um, it's been great. How life works. Yeah, it's, it's like it's like Elliot says, you can't choose when you win, right? It just kind of happens. I agree with you. <laughs> Um, I appreciate your time once again to coming on the show, sharing yeah. uh, the reasoning behind Hogak and Legacy and why people might want to play it because of how the matchup breaks down versus uh, the Fairdax and how you feel you have such a huge edge in that matchup that it's worth like, you know, if you're coin flipping with the rest or close to coin flipping and crushing the rest of the matchup, I think that's a, a great way of putting it and, and just a great reason to play the deck. And again, I appreciate your time, man. Yeah, th- and thank you for having me. I love it. I love coming on here, and I love all you guys. Uh, all the best in your uh, Magic careers. Uh, Andy, best of luck at the Pro Tour. I'll be ro- rooting you on. And uh, I'll be watching for future episodes. So thanks for having me on, guys. I'll see you later. Okay. Thank you so much. That was Tarek Patel, who top-aided twice, back-to-back. What a beast. What a beast. In Legacy with Hogak, it never touched the modern version. Um, there's one one bit of news that we didn't address on the show that I would love when it first came out because of, of the timing of it. And, of course, this is something I'm really curious what these three think of live on the air. Of course, we've discussed it sort of in our private chat, but fractional invites. So, during the 2020 esports announcement last month, we, I, I'm re- reading off... Uh, Magic.gg, we talked about our goal to give players the opportunity to earn invites to Players Tour and Players Tour Finals with a series of good finishes at Grand Prix and Player Tours events. We've been looking at ways to structure this system, and our current favorite is giving players who miss qualifying by one or two losses a fractional invite that can be combined in order to secure an invite to a Players Tour or Players Tour Finals. The next step is to decide on a relative value on a different event types and estimate how many invites the system would generate. We're currently working on a balanced model where a player's tour is assigned a relative value of 1.0, then a Grand Prix is 0.8, and a player's tour final is 1.2. This model keeps Grand Prix relevant and accounts for the fact that player's tour and player's tour finals already offer opportunities to qualify for future events. And I will start with you, Mr. John. Toasted John, what do you think about fractional invites? Well, at least they're listening now, which is interesting. Um... When when the first OP like the overhaul announcement came, like it was mostly universally praised, but um, one of the one of the blind spots that uh, we thought it had, or the majority of Twitter had, was that you know you're not rewarding people for consistency, and this ostensibly does it. Um, the devil, of course, is in detail, but conceptually, it sounds it sounds reasonable to me. I haven't really thought about all the multipliers and all that, and you know. Uh, how long? <clears throat> how long these like carryovers last? You know whether it should be like two losses away or one loss away or three losses <laughs> away. Whether it should scale, etc. Like I mean that 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 sort of uh, discussion has happened. Um, Tangram's friends of the podcast was uh, 
pretty vocal about his opinion, and uh, he he did lead some discussions there. But um, I I I think this in concept can only be a good thing. Um, let's let I'm I'm just gonna wait and see how it uh, plays out in practice. But um, this is definitely a progressive uh, move from Wizards. I guess like if you guys think I'm uh, I'm wrong, then please I'll go ahead, Elliot. Uh, since I'm always so positive, I'll say that I love it. Uh, but obviously there's, there's a lot of questions. Uh, for example, you know, like how many, how many near misses, how many of these fractional points do you need to acquire to get an invite? Do you need to like 12, three, like five GPs before you get a PT invite? Is that, or is it more like two or three? Um, and you know, what, like there's the other question, what counts as being one match away from the pro tour invite? Normally at a grand prix, you have to go 13 and two, but unless you're 12 and two and lose, you know, you were kind of never just one match away. You know, if you, if you're nine and three and win out, were you one match away from the pro tour? I, I don't know. Uh, does that count as a fractional invite? Um, so obviously there's a lot of questions yet to be answered. Uh, I think it would be really cool if they also included uh, PTQs in some sense, um, since you know I think that like for example losing the semi losing the finals or semifinals of a PTQ is significantly harder than twelve three in a Grand Prix or or even eleven four in a Grand Prix if that's how that that ends up counting for points. Um, so seeing seeing those in the mix would be interesting. Although I think that's where you'd get into a situation where you would need so many of them uh, to count towards a full invite just because of the sheer quantity of PTQs that take place in the world. Because obviously from, from Watsi's point of view is when they've moved to this structure with guaranteed minimum prizing at the pro tour uh, and for the sake of the structures of the pro tours that they're running, uh, there has to be, or players to rather, uh, there has to be some limitation on, the number of players at each of each event and they can't just say, you know, they can't just Oprah and say like, you get an invite, you get an invite, you get an invite. Um, they have to draw the line somewhere. And, uh, as a player, I hope it's on the more generous side, but I, I, I expect that fewer people than, than we may think may earn these full fractional invites. <laughs> All right. Um, Andy, do you have a take on this? I, I know some people actually don't like it because they don't want, I guess they, they, they think invites might become too much of a handout. It's not as pre- prestigious as before, but I, I don't know how you feel about it all, Andy. Well, we're on, uh, we're like waiting for one of the most important announcements for like the state of competitive magic. Like if they nail this then competitive magic could be like in one of the best positions it's ever been in. We have this like fantastic arena stuff going on that there's like uh, the players tour, which I think fixes some issues that the pro tour had with being a G like a geographically locked. And I think like that, I actually think that's a positive for magic because then the wizards can save some money. And then it's not like $3,000 to fly to your pro tour and it seems overall kind of better for everybody. So basically, if they get this right, we're we're doing fantastic. The problem is like how wrong do they have to get it 
for it to be like a disaster. And then you start thinking like, how many like GP 12 threes in a season should deserve a pro tour invite? Is it three, three in a season? That's a lot. But at the same time, like how many people get three 12 threes in a season? Probably almost nobody, honestly. There's probably like a very small amount of people. I would guess it's like five or less. Yeah. And uh, then you start thinking of like PTQ top eights. How many PTQ top eights? What if you get five in a season? Should you get an invite? Probably. There's probably almost nobody who gets five in a season. So then it really depends on where they lock in these numbers. And the the fact that they give themselves the opportunity to make it like fractional can hopefully make it so they can make the numbers malleable enough where there's a good sweet spot where they're inviting the right amount of people and not making it too easy. I'm not sure. Yeah, if I'm sure they'll not make it too easy. That's just a fact. They're definitely not going to make it too easy. But I think uh, I can't wait to see what the announcement is. And I think they do this so they can announce it and then just like wait for all the pros on Twitter to tell them what the numbers should be. <laughs> and then they make it a little bit less than that. <laughs> maybe. Maybe that's part of the strategy. Um, I'm always an advocate for things that like because it back <laughs> back in our day back in our day it just felt like to winner winner takes all um it just felt um like near misses feel really bad and it's it's it at that time it sucked to not have it really mean anything you had those like some people were able to get special invites because they had many near misses um but to, to have many close heartbreak moments uh in the past and and maybe in a row and not have them mean anything uh just sucked and i just think that you know some some of these players do uh deserve a, a slot that said like like elliot mentioned there might not be that many people and you said to to let's say it's they said at three like how many people do i personally know even in our circle that that participate in that tournament i, I felt elliot was on that run like SCG here, Las Vegas, Magic Fest over here, and then in the same in the same light, I the listener of the show, Matt Stein. I feel like he's been going everywhere, and so maybe like these guys, I wouldn't be surprised if they had a fractional invite, uh, multiple enough to make an invite. Elliot, <laughs> that was like, well, my my problem is I don't win enough. <laughs> Those are the kind of people you want like to play the pro tour, though. Like these people are going every weekend. So I think like even if it's like like five eleven fours are better than like you're giving invites to like the right people. It's just whether or not it's too many invites. Like that's yeah, if you get fractional invite points for entering PTQs, I'm there. <laughs> for entering PTQs. <laughs> if I have to do anything more than like two two drop the PTQ, not happening. It's like point zero one. Like, if you play 100, sure. I love what you said at the beginning, uh, Andy. Like, with before all four of us were complaining that it was not clear what the plan was, how to get to any level or anything. And now, like you mentioned, the arena paths and now the, the WPN paths in store. There, there's four Montreal, four in Toronto. You might not be able to play or want to play in some of them because unless you make a weekend out of it, but... And in some ways, it is. It feels like they just sort of changed the PPTQ system, where different stores could host a lot of PPTQs that ultimately end up in an RPTQ to just now four WPN qualifiers 
and then the RTP, RPTQ is replaced by the WPN finals. Uh, but at the same time, I'm I'm more attracted by these because maybe I'm just an idiot, but it's like, I just got to top eight one of these four things, and then I play the final. No, the PPTQ system did some things right. Yeah. Like, for sure. And I think, like, local, like, if I lived in Toronto, I would be ecstatic. If I lived in Montreal, I would be through the roof. So the, how incredible these seem for players in the area. Even like an hour out, I think it would be worth it to travel these for sure. And even maybe even further, like it starts stretching. Once once you realize it's just all you got to do is top eight. <laughs> yeah. You have to wonder like how many people are going to be there. And <laughs> like PT invites that are pretty great. So, but then you have to win the next tournament, right? Yeah. Not just uh top four or whatever. I think it's going to be interesting how many people are traveling to these, the PTQ finals, uh, because only some of the positions are taken up by the qualifiers. Uh, I know, for example, there's a, a PTQ final in November in Ottawa where they, they posted the like event and registration at the beginning of September. And, uh, the first time it was linked to me was like less than a day after it went live and there was like 16 spots left. So I, I registered for that. It sold out by the end of the day, uh, maybe 36 hours after it went live. And I basically won a PPTQ and qualified for my RPTQ just by having the link to sign up before everyone else. Are you going to be so- selling your spot outside the door? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I forget. I forget how much I paid, so I won't. Uh, I won't give the number now. But uh, if you if you message me on Twitter, we'll start the blind bidding process for my spot in the PTQ. <laughs> um, but uh, speaking of that, that's interesting because they gave a lot of leeway or flexibility of how stores wanted to do this, whereas Face opted for a more you have to win a qualifier. And there's only 32 people in the finals. And um, yeah, you just got to be the best player on that day out of the 32. Um, and Can they special invite to the their PTQ finals? <laughs> no, there, 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 there is no special invite. Um, but there goes my shot. There are positive, like you said. Um, some of the stores either had really bad price structures or didn't have the right store space uh, to, to run a PPTQ. And now you're going into, you know, brand new tables at face face games, Montreal that could fit comfortably 96 players comfortably. And so people are going to come down to these and yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a great time. Like I'm, I'm motivated to, to play this. So quick transition to, I guess a bit of standard talk. I, I heard, um, I decided to play some standard online because they, they kept advertising on Twitter, on my phone even, the, the whole play 12 games on us for free, any card. And then they'll have that event where if you win 12 in a row, uh, you get every card in standard for free in your Ma- Magic Arena account. But even if you don't win 12, you get a bunch of uh, different bonuses, packs or whatever. And I think that's a great promotion just to get people to who might not normally play with the client to start playing and then they might get hooked that way so i think that's a, a genius thing uh to have not only the 12 play for free and now a 12 again where you can play any deck and try and and 
And it's going to be interesting, like, because people, some inevitably will go on that hot 12 and 0 run. And I decided to, to play Kanye best on Twitter's uh, mono red list because I just wanted to play a quick, get those 12 games out of the way. Uh, best of one deck that, and this one, I'm pulling it up. I uh, I don't know if any of you guys seen it, but he, he tweeted about it, how he was able to get to Mythic Rank 50 and, you know, eschewing away the old Frenzy type style of deck and more of a Raging Goblin 1-1 types of deck that really tries to capitalize on Cavalcade of Calamity as well as Torbran, uh, Thorn of Redfell. And those, like, when I have either one of those two cards, I felt the deck was really powerful Basically, I think I went 9-3 and ended up mainly losing to, to the single zombie card, the 1-2, just because it shuts off a lot of your 1-1 one, one draws with, with no shock in it. And even, like, all you have are 1-1s. And then the rest, and Chandra, Chandra makes 1-1s. You have Chandra Spitfire, that's a 1-3. But it buys them enough time to they'll play their more powerful spells, whether it be, like, 4-4s four in their decks and um, I run out of time to be able to, to kill them. But overall, I, I kind of like this this mono red deck. I imagine it's not a, going to be a big player, but it was fun. <laughs> Andy, what, what are the big players besides the deck that you're thinking of uh, piloting? What are the big players? Uh, there's like some adventure decks, which people are still trying to like figure out exactly what's good about them and how to make them good which is the coolest part about early standard right it's like you play these shells you're like this shell's good but in reality the shell's only good because like these four cards are good and in re- and you should take those four cards and put it into a different shell and that's kind of the fun part of exploring a new standard but i think the big players are uh esper uh, dance esper dance is is really powerful the adventure decks like i said then there's the golos decks and uh, then there's just a bunch of mishmash of in between of like a bunch of different style green decks or green blue decks that you can build. There's like a million different ways you can build it. And then there's like some fires of in uh, intervention. I don't know if that's the name. I hope it is invention. Invention. Sorry, that makes a lot more sense. And uh, that card is like pretty powerful. And then there's some decks trying to like maximize what that card can do. So I'm uh, really interested to see what ends up being the good decks from that. Thankfully, we have like the MPL split. We can like take a look at their deck list because those matches matter. So that's what the, they're playing. So you could take a look over there. I think someone played like like green white tokens type thing with like some adventure cards, and that's pretty cool. It might have been Reed Duke who played that actually. And uh, yeah, no new standard looks sweet, sweet so far. Hopefully, and Oko seems. Very powerful, but like, I don't know. It's not the be all end all. So, this planeswalker can be in play for like four turns and not do enough. So, like, making two three threes over four turns, like by itself, like with just itself, is not too much. But the fact is that it's unfortunately not just by itself. So, hmm. I don't know. Have you seen our boy Brian Golub's list? With Esper, like he he took down a Phantom Legends uh, tournament, I, mean, I believe. The back to back arena, whatever the whatever the tournaments are called, Ph- Phantom Legends. <laughs> he killed it. It's so like uh, his Esper deck was super unique, 
and really good. I had not seen anyone even talk about a list like that. And I played it, and ho holy crap, the card's powerful. It, when you play Doom Foretold, if your opponent like just has some creatures out, they are screwed. Because you're just going to keep like drawing cards and just edict them every turn of the game. And so like that card's super powerful. And then he played the, the, the Golos deck, which is just exactly the kind of deck I've been looking for. And he played an interaction that I thought was just super smart. Like Once Upon a Time is actually just really good in that deck. So what it does is it can find you a Wrath. Like All your creatures are so important. So you have the Wrath Giant. So you can find a Wrath. On turn one, you could find like a Boreal Grazer, which is one of your most important cards against aggro decks, or just one of your most devastating cards on the play. Or it can also find you Golos, like one of the key creatures for what takes you over the top of everybody. And so like that innovation there is just a really tight tight one. He's on top of his game and he's showing us like how incredible he is at uh, building decks and picking metagames. And yeah, it was a pleasure to watch Brian play. But uh, Oko, I, I guess, oh, man, I forgot. I would have made all three of you make your top fives, but uh, too late. I thought about Oko still easily in your top five. Yeah, Oko would definitely still be there. Car's really good. <laughs> we could even like, not this episode, not on the spot, but I think there's still like room to be wrong about top fives like right now, the way standard sits, right? There's cards that like power level could be through the roof or it could not be good. And the, one of the cards that comes to mind is like Fires of Invention. And that card could be crazy. It's just if you can find the right shell, and I think people are starting to find that. And that card just is obviously the most powerful card in the decks that it's in. Hmm. But I'm not sure anyone would have put it on their top five list. But now you could put it in there, and you could still be wrong. Hmm. All right, let's, let's, let's wrap this show up with the meat of the episode, which is what you guys are going to be battling with. Here in Montreal, there's going to be... It's crazy to me. There's there's not only... The main event is sealed, but there's two sealed MCQs or whatever they're called now. I guess they're back to being called just PTQs, right? They're just PTQ. Player tours. Players what tour bad, baby? qualifiers. And then we got three modern PTQs. And so, John, John, where, where is your head at? We, we I posted... Um, I love it. I love when Cyrus like 70% to win the trophy. Then then we have Tarek saying that he feels he's 90% against the fair decks with Hogak. Now we have you with six, you've been 68% with the new version of the Neoform deck. Um, yeah, we're, update update the peeps. Are you bringing it back? Is Neoform is 68% the way to go? Well, so I, I left Vancouver yesterday, so I brought a few decks. One is Dredge, which I think is competent enough, but not quite powerful enough to overwhelm anything. Um, but if the Graveyard Hate is skimped for a given weekend, it can do well. The other is Grishelbrand for if I want to meme on the weekend. That, that probably <laughs> means um, I would have won the PTQ already, or I'm <laughs> helping and I'm just raging and memeing. Uh, the other two decks are Neoform, and for those who don't know and aren't following me on Twitter, I've been experimenting with the uh, Glittering Wish version, which I think is the better version out of the two. The one, the, the two being the non-glitter non blue-green version and the Glittering Wish uh, band version. Uh, 
And I think because the format has slowed down by like a turn and turn and a half, it's okay to play Glittering Wish because Glittering Wish at worst can uh, wish for a guttural response, which gives you a significantly better chance against these counter spell decks. And Once Upon a Time has been uh, as good as average. It's like it's going to help on the margins. It's not going to help fundamental problems, but generally speaking, it makes the deck more powerful. But the that's my fallback. But the deck that I want to test, and the the deck that I want to be good is the Emery Lurker of the Lock, Urza Paradoxical Outcome, Jeskai Ascendancy combo. And this certainly has the writings of um, uh, a final enough deck in terms of you know just having a. Uh, very linear, like infinite combo, uh, combo being like looping, uh, looping, uh, zeros with just the ascendancy to make a, a lo- very large emery or making infinite mana by looping moss opals. Uh, um, you also have the Urza, which might be w- the Urza package, which might be one of the most powerful four card, like single card package out there, period. And just a paradoxical outcome uh, package as well. And surprisingly, this deck is very resilient against like the traditional uh, Stony Silence and the Ancient Grudge type of uh, cards. And you know, a lot of good, great players like Matt Nass and Tangrams are making a lot of noise about it. And you know, like I was planning on just playing uh, Neoform, but at some point, I can't ignore it anymore. And I think the poten- the potential for greatness is there. And especially given that um, on Magic Online. Eldraine was released a week early, so you're essentially up one week on the paper meta. So if this uh, deck is indeed broken, I want to make sure I will, uh, I'm there for the ground floor. So uh, in sum, I'm just uh, considering Neoform, and, but I'm hoping that just the ascendancy with Emery. Man, have you have the rest of you heard about these these creations? Yeah, I was actually uh, pretty excited about the Emery Jeskai Ascendancy deck. Uh, for people who are in the First Strike Nation Facebook group, I think the day Emery was spoiled, I posted like a super all-in tropical merfolk style uh, <laughs> Jeskai Ascendancy Emery deck, and I was like not playing any of the um, uh, paradoxical outcomes, but and just trying to be like all in on the Jeskai Ascendancy. I had like some Chromatic Spheres and Stars to help cast it, uh, as well as like a bunch more zeros, like a bunch of um, bobbles, welding jars on top of the the Moxen. Um, and, and that kind of goes in line with my general philosophy of when uh, a combo deck or, or, or just like a deck in general is when I'm creating like a first draft of something, I like to be as greedy as possible <clears throat> to see if the extreme is viable. Uh, because it's always easy, I think, to like tone it down um, when you once you figure out like what's wrong. Uh, so, like for example, taking the list that Matt Nass played on his stream, I think it's really easy to take that list and say, "Well, what wasn't working is that I was stretching the mana for Jeskai Ascendancy. You cut the Jeskai Ascendancies, you you change the lands, and you're back to this like base mono blue." Uh, paradoxical outcome combo deck with Emery and all of a sudden like if that works for you then you're at a reasonable position but um, without testing the Jeskai Ascendancy first I think you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot by not seeing what the limit is of what you can be doing because with Jeskai Ascendancy uh, it's possible to have a turn two kill and and I think that can't be uh, like some it's not, it's not something you can really pass up in my opinion it, there's a lot of paths towards it, 
um, as soon as you have Emery and Jeskai ascendancy, uh, like it starts shaping up in that direction. It, it doesn't take that many zeros. Uh, and, and that odd a combination of lands to achieve. Obviously, you need Mox Opal or um, Mox Amber. So you, you do need like some parts. I'm not saying every hand's a turn two kill, but uh, when you compare that to the speed of the Paradoxical Outcome deck, which tends to be more turn four, uh, maybe even like turn four value, like maybe turn five kill kind of position. Um, and obviously that deck's very powerful. It, it's like, you know, it, it does its thing very consistently uh, since it sees so many more cards. But that would definitely be my step one. Um, another example of this is I was talking to a friend of the show, Matt Stein, and uh, about the Taking Turns deck, which, uh, you know, he he loves that deck, has, you know, he played it last Grand Prix Toronto, and we were talking about playing Fires of Invention in it. And he sent me a deck that, and, and you know, I, I hope I'm I'm not doing any disservice revealing his technology. But he was playing like a bunch of lightning bolts, and he was like splashing for for time reinforcements and doing all these like fair things in combination with his uh, at, at the core of it a combo deck. And I wanted to be playing growth spiral. I wanted to be like rug and trying to like turn three fires of invention, cast a savor the moment, and start killing people uh, just as soon as I possibly could. And, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's awful because Gross Spiral is really not that good once you have fires in play. And maybe you're, this version without Lightning Bolt isn't as good at digging for the fires because it can't survive long enough. But I, I want to be there to find out uh, because I want the possibility to turn three kill people. Uh, and I don't want to be, like, leaving that opportunity on the table. Um, so as, as for this weekend, what I'm looking to do... Uh, I really don't know. I think that modern's like really wide open. I had a discussion with someone about what the best deck in modern is. And I said, I, I don't know if modern needs or has a best deck right now. Um, they, they brought up like, you know, is, is Urza tier zero is Urza tier one. And, you know, maybe, maybe a month from now, we're going to look back and say like, what were we thinking playing wishing well, and, you know, like what if, we're all idiots for playing Emery because the actual tier zero Urza deck plays some other card, like as is the case with, we saw with um, KCI for so long where, you know, the cards were legal and it just took a while to get to the, the really refined list. So uh, as it stands right now, I, I don't think modern really has a best deck uh, and without a best deck, I, I don't know what to play. So I, if John tells me Wednesday night, when I have time to source the cards that, Neoform is busted. I'll try to borrow Neoform. If not, I'll play the main event at the Grand Prix. Elliot, I mean Andy, what are you playing? What's what's your plan? Well, I've fallen for this trap before, and I'm going to fall for it again. I'm going to play uh, Bring to Light Scape Shift. I think it's like a pretty big favorite against uh, all non like control slash like hyper aggro or fast decks. And I think that's an okay spot to be in modern right now. I've tested the deck a bunch. I've been doing very well with it, and I'm playing a list off the beaten path a bit. But I gave a bunch of my reasoning on Twitter about it, and a lot of people seem to be coming to like a similar conclusion that I was about the old Ice Fang Coatl Gross Spiral debate. And I think uh, time will show that Bring to Light Scape Shift is okay, and we'll never learn what card's better. <laughs> Not enough people will play it, I think. 
Man, some people were asking for your list, man. Some, yeah, some, ben, uh, ben Stark asked me for my deck list. Noted uh, arguably best limited player on the planet. Yeah, maybe people. you've heard of him, Ben Stark. <laughs> Wanted your modern list. Um, I mean, wasn't that what... Matt Stein loved that list. And now he's he's back on oh, the... He hates, he hates my list because I cut <laughs> all the the bullshit out of bring to lightscape shift to, to put it lightly and played like super streamlined. I'm a combo deck that can stall the game out. I'm a combo deck. That's very good against other combo decks and, uh, and fair decks. And that's kind of the best way to play the deck. And I kept, he kept saying that he wants all these bullets in the deck. And I told him, if you're playing the deck correctly, you never want to search for those bullets. You just want to search for uh wraths because that's, like a thing that could beat you as a bunch of creatures, or you want to search for scapeshift. That's it. And uh, I feel like it's hard to get out of that when you're like, you f- you find all these spots for other cards. But I I think I told him that I would rather have Cultivate than almost any other card he's suggested. And Cultivate's not a very powerful card, but it does solve a problem against like uh, Jun decks that resolve like Ren and Six into Liliana, where it can get you a ramp spell that puts a card in your hand so that if you have like the scape shift, it'll give you the opportunity to draw another land to kill them. So is the plan for all three of you the same? Basically you play the modern PTQ on each of the days until you qualify. Is that, is that the general plan for all you three? Yeah. My plan is to definitely to triple PTQ because I think I enjoy myself more when I have three smaller tournaments and uh, will not feel the pressure as much, even though I've changed my mindset like quite a bit. I think I can still succumb to the kind of a pressure of like an all-in, this is my one event for this whole weekend kind of thing. So I think the triple PTQ will ease my mind a bit. You'll feel the pressure on Sunday. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> Friday, yeah, whatever. Saturday, there's always Sunday. Sunday, oh shit, I got to win this. Um, same with you, Elliot, just fumbling... Between the PTQs, figuring out what the best deck is. Yeah, if uh, if I feel inspired to play a, a specific modern deck, I may play the PTQs. But I'm I'm I've kind of been waffling between obviously I'm going to play the main event to like obviously I'm going to triple PTQ, and now I'm I'm somewhere between the two, leaning towards playing the main event. So. Ooh, isn't it kind of weird that there's a sealed PTQ and the main event is is the same format? I'm hearing things wrong like is that the reality uh well in the past when we only had when there were like fewer ptqs it would be like one would be the same format as the main event and one would be a different format like you'd get the rebound right. PTQ on on the sunday right as, right. The, as the same format uh so they just have like that rebound ptq on top of one on the friday which i think makes sense okay oh yeah i remember at one point they were different formats when they had like remember that when they had the GP and then the PTQ yeah. was like you need to bring your standard and your modern deck um, that was interesting so okay that's that's your plan John I, I imagine okay we we talked about how I think it was it Vegas where you could have been like the MCQ and the GP main event winner and Andy is John allowed to play all three even if he wins uh, can you win all of them oh. So he no, can't even do that. No, but honestly, I really hope he, he does uh, break out again. Uh, <laughs> last week, 
when we were talking with Cyrus, John broke my goddamn heart with his story of his last pro tour. Oh, yeah. And how he's, he's like, don't waste your shot, kid. Don't waste your shot. You never know when you're going to get it again. Don't be like it, me. Don't yeah, be exactly. And it broke my heart, man. I really hope he gets there. I really do. Okay, let's hope for I mean, I, I was just being brutally honest, man. I, I wasted my first uh, invite, and uh, old man wants to get back there again and make the most. Yeah, well, I 5 one limited at my Pro Tour and just played a terrible standard deck. Man, if only you had someone to help you prepare for that tournament. Oof. I could have told you your deck was unplayable. <laughs> oh. I think... I think now, if if I made it now, I'm in a better spot than I ever was. I think uh, just with on the online presence and and knowing more friends uh, like you guys, John becoming closer back then. I mean, I tried to make it with a small people that you know, like like my closest friends, like the best. They were already on pro teams, like Alex Hain, stuff like that. They were already on their secret tech type teams. And uh, but now I feel like if I made it, I got you guys to to bounce off of. I could join the cabal possibly if they allowed me in. If I wanted to join, if I needed some help, and I think I would be a much better spot than I was because back then it was like, you know, I I played the Atarka deck at the Origins PT, and and the pro teams they solved and sold artifact, and that deck was just bonkers when you faced against it, like taking five on turn two, indestructible land. I mean, they just figured shit out with Shrapnel Blast also. So the rules of the game have changed since then, right? Like they were playing pro tours like three weeks, four weeks out of the set, right? We're like a month and a half, two months out of the set, with like real events in between. Like nowadays, you could go to the pro tour based on just like the moto results and have a very good deck, right? Yeah. Plus, plus we have the homie Tangrams now, so we're obviously going to get the hookup on the busted artifact deck. No more in soul artifact under the radar. We'll have it. <laughs> Yeah, I just yeah. There's a lot of these tournaments where uh, if I'd qualified in that that one when I played against in Seoul, or, or there was another deck that that broke out of that tournament, I think, and uh, just felt like um, yeah, I, I really lost out from not being on a pro team. But you're right, Andy. Times have changed, and now it's like the the playing field is uh, more even. So I'm excited to uh, make it back. Uh, shouts to P Sam's. Um, who's going to, who's excited to hang with the first strike boys, uh, this weekend, tomorrow night. So my plan tomorrow night, bonkies with my man, John, who's never been to the most famous poutine place. I mean, poutine might not be a thing for everyone, but if you love poutine, uh, you owe it to yourself to go to bonkies. It's too, I mean, it's, it's on the same Metro line as Bonaventure. So it's on the Mont Royal. It's about four to five believe metro stops and if you guys are coming down to magic forest past montreal definitely check that place out i think peace out wants to get some vietnamese i don't know if he wants to do it on friday lunch friday evening or saturday i've never had pho do you want to try it i would love to try you gotta hook me up man friday and i'm too afraid to order it by myself friday night or saturday night your pick we will make that the vietnamese night i'm in okay why? What, what's wrong, John? He probably can't believe I've never tried oh. pho. I've never tried pho? I eat so much Vietnamese and like Japanese oh, no. food. It's insane. But every time I look at it, I'm like, how am I supposed to eat it? No thanks. Oh, yeah. 
you won't believe that, John. I, I like Jay Booched. I flew. I flew. They flew me to Magic Fest Calgary to do coverage. And then he's like, I'm going to bring you to my favorite Vietnamese place. So I sit down and then he orders, they order the go-to and I just, I obviously look at the soup menu. I take the most known thing and they're like, we've never tried that. <laughs> I was like, what? And this is your favorite Vietnamese place? Uh, it's intimidating. How do you eat it? How do you yeah. eat it? We're going to make you feel, oh, okay, I can't guarantee how John's going to make you feel, but I am not going to make you feel like you are you should be ashamed of yourself. I'm going to be <laughs> happily, happily introduce you to, to how I, I eat that. Uh, so we'll lock that up Friday night and, or Saturday night. Okay, with that, I think, uh, once again, subscribe to our show on your favorite uh, phone app. Right now, again, I keep recommending pocket cast because it's free it used to be uh, a premium app but a, a lot of people are on uh, subscribe to us on itunes or on google Podcasts or anything like that super patreon.com slash first strike uh if you want to get uh give it in on top of that and um if you guys see us like this weekend be sure to say hi and hang out and we're definitely like if you want to grab lunch quick dinner with me uh, or meet up after at, I don't know, John's six, apparently six minute walk from Esports Central. We can game. You know, I'm always, I'm always down to do whatever or just have first a strike meet up at, at Esports Central. <laughs> we, we play is that League? what I'm hearing? <laughs> we could play rock. I mean, the thing is we've got to pay. That's uh, so I don't know. I don't know if it's the worth, uh, well, I mean, the the first strike nation members will have to pay. I'm sure we're <laughs> yeah. celebrity guests. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't have to pay. <laughs> yeah, we got all the Red Bull we want when we go there. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it might. I don't know. It depends how how we feel. I think if we scrub out early, it's a good uh, good place to drown your sorrows. Play some uh, infinite hours of of Rocket League. I have okay. He's never tried foe. I've never I've watched Rocket League. I've never played it myself one game. So we can have that little little exchange. Okay. All right. With that, good night everyone. Shout outs to uh, Wizard WD in the chat and uh we will see you all hopefully not hopefully before next week when we do this episode. Hopefully we see you this Friday, this weekend, this Saturday or Sunday. Ciao everyone and good night. <laughs>